And welcome to the Plant a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is being recorded on March 18th, 2022. Amanda Benner is a Principal Program Manager for Vegetation Management at PICO, an Exelon company, and lives in Philadelphia. Prior to joining the electric utility, she held nonprofit leadership positions at the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society and was Executive Director at a community organization, UC Green. Her career includes positions in operations and project management at marketing and communication firms. Amanda has an MBA from the University of Maryland, is an ISA certified arborist, and holds the tree risk assessment qualification. Welcome to the Plant a Trillion Trees podcast, Amanda. We're delighted you could be with us today. Thank you. Delighted to be here. We're thrilled too. We've been looking forward to this. We have so many questions on our list for you, working for PICO, our major energy provider here in southeastern Pennsylvania. We wanted to find out a little bit more about your background and the current position that you hold. What experience do you have, perhaps as a younger person, that led you to the work that you currently do in vegetation management? Because it's an unusual profession, especially for a woman. Yeah, so we're all big fans of tree tenders and Mindy Maslin. So I was in a career of operations, project management, of design, marketing, communication firms at the time. And uh, my husband and I bought a house in West Philly, and I think I was in the second or third class of tree tenders. So I always kind of say that changed my career direction because I started getting so connected with the community, developed this little uh, mini block grant program, and you know got really connected with folks in the neighborhood. So that led me to eventually becoming executive director of UC Green, which is a community-based greening organization, really volunteer driven. And this is many, many years ago. So Tree Tenders was still in the early phases. Hal, I think you were one of our instructors. You know, UC Green, that organization, getting to know so many folks involved in the tree business and loving connecting with folks. So more to talk about there. That led me to working for a couple other nonprofits in the tree space. One of them was Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. And I worked on the sustainable communities part of that and also the trees program. From there, I moved to PICO, our electric utility, as you mentioned, in southeastern Pennsylvania. Actually, one of my advisory board members from UC Green was the manager at the time, Alex Brown. And we talked and I thought it could be an interesting opportunity. So it was the first time I ever worked for a very large organization as a utility. So yeah, that's kind of how I got there. So I've been at Pico now 10 years. I just wanted to clue our listeners into UC Green. 
used to be University City Green and part of that area that encompasses the University of Pennsylvania. So for our global listeners, you have an idea of where that would be if you've attended Penn or if you've been to Penn. And these organizations sprung up like hotcakes coming out of the city. Local communities started creating these organizations. But I think one of the most famous one is UC Green. Well, I think what was really successful about the model is that we had the support of the University of Pennsylvania, as you said. So, you know, we were completely volunteer based, very, very small organization. It was me for a long time. And I was able to hire Winnie Harris as my volunteer coordinator and really work with the community, taking that tree tenders model of grassroots up neighbors learning about trees and then getting involved. But back when we were doing that, we were planting the big bald and burlap trees and the block grant program that I developed prior to that, we were out there with a walk-behind concrete saw, cutting concrete pits, enlarging tree pits, sledgehammering, pry barring. Some of the great friends that I've made in the neighborhood were back from that time. And we had a lot of fun. It was very action-driven. My mentor, Mike Hardy, very action-based kind of person. You get it done. But connecting with Mindy's model of the tree tenders and the way that they networked and connected people in the community, really those two things together. Plus, we had a ton of student volunteers back when we were moving these big trees around and cutting pits. And now they've moved on to the bare root model, which is a much more volunteer-friendly, sustainable approach. And better results, too. Yeah, absolutely. They're great. You're not buying all that dirt, right? Survivability rate's much higher, too. Somebody forgets to water, it's a little less stressful on the tree. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what I want to say is developing those programs. We also developed a pruning club, which was a weekly social event, was another way to kind of connect with folks and get them out. And we also developed a Green Corps program, which was high school kids in the summer helping to maintain those trees that got planted. We had a pickup truck someone donated and a water tank in the back. And one of our great volunteers, Joseph Pyro, helped us figure out with the backflow preventer and taught the kids how to use that. So there weren't any issues hooking up to the uh, hydrants. And uh, we did this for many years. So the kids would get a great summer job and we were watering all those trees because we were putting in a lot of trees every year. That's why Billy looks so great. Yeah, we really kept expanding further and further as people got interested and learned about the program. You know, a block would want to get involved and we'd plant a couple trees. Some of the neighbors might be skeptical and then others, they'd see how great it looked and they say, hey, I want that too. So oftentimes we'd come back again to the same blocks, just continue to grow that group of citizen arborists. You know, as I hear your stories, they all come under that wonderful umbrella of citizen arborists, right? Look at you and where you started and where you are today and look at your community and where it is today. What would that be? 15, 20 years of regular planting by passionate, enthusiastic people. Because I've mentioned before we went on the air that I've been reading the abstracts and the work of the generation behind us, the students and the research that they're doing. And I feel like University City Green would be a great community to analyze what works so well. I mean, how many trees do you think have been planted under the auspices of University City? Yeah, when I left, I think we're close to a thousand because we were doing some very large projects around rec centers. Actually, Laura Roman, who you had as a guest, 
one of her projects when she was a student at Penn was to study this cohort of trees that we planted at one of the rec centers and kind of monitor it over years. I think it's part of her base research that she's presented on over time. Pretty exciting. That was a great way to connect with her back then. So I think that's a great idea, Hal. I think the connection, though, with making sure the trees get maintained, as you know, getting them in the ground is part of it, but then making sure that people understand and learn about trees. So it's that two-prong maintenance and education side and then connecting with your neighbors and your community at large. And then as you get excited about it, then you'll help with further volunteering, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and today our recording date is March 18th. Coming up next month in Philadelphia, April 23rd, the Tree Tenders Program will oversee 1,500 trees getting planted in Philadelphia and the suburbs. To me, it always points to the fact that citizen arborists are going to get it done as far as moving forward. Think about that impact for 10, 15, 20 years from now, what that's going to mean for our planet and for all of us that are trying to walk the walk after we talk the talk. 1,500 trees is a substantial. For all you arborists out there in the industry, you got to bring the same kind of passion. Yeah, absolutely. So PICO, one of our favorite volunteer events every spring and fall is to unload those berry trees. PICO volunteers come out to help unload those bare root trees, and then they go to tree tenders. So this is twice a year, our favorite, one of our favorite events. And I know we want to talk about the partnership that we've developed with tree tenders and PHS as a utility to really help get more trees in the ground across our service territory. Absolutely. PICO volunteers then will be unloading the shipment that comes from Schicktel's nursery up near Niagara Falls, all the way up there. We need a bare root nursery back here in Philadelphia or southeastern Pennsylvania. So all you budding entrepreneurs, keep that in mind because <laughs> it's quite a haul. I was going to also say that, you know, you're having these trucks coming in. The amazing amount of work that can get done with those bare root trees is just unbelievable. You know, when you say you've planted a thousand trees, they're not all the same type of planting. So when you're doing bald and burlap, you can't ever plant that many trees. It takes a lot of time and effort. And being able to do the bare root is just magic. It is. From the utility side, we really are about keeping the power on, right? The electric company, we need to maintain our facilities. So the right tree, right place right location message is so critical. And when we're planting over time, we've developed tree tenders and the city of Philadelphia has developed a great program. So when they're permitting for the trees, the city arborists who go out and permit know to look overhead, what wires are there? What tree is going to be appropriate? So when they approve the actual species that's going to be planted, Philadelphia, I think, has a great program because their arborists know. In some of the counties, you know, it's a little more dispersed and not quite one filter for where the trees get planted. So there's still some room to grow in communicating with developers and planters of what's the right tree species, where, so that we don't have future conflict with the power lines overhead. Pico in, you know, I'm in vegetation management and we have to keep our our lines clear in order for folks to have energy and, you know, we're trying to build the infrastructure for the 21st century power needs. And in doing so, we do need to clear trees, cut trees, but the less that we need to do that, the better. 
right? So if there's less tree and wire conflict and, the, you know, people can still have beautiful trees near the wires. So if they're the right species. We love to talk species. So feel free to throw out all your favorite names of trees that you love that are working in your community in West Philly, the success stories, and of course, incredible failures. This is the opportunity to lay it all out there. Yeah, well, you know, Mike Hardy had a fondness for the hawthorns um, as an underwire tree because they're beautiful. I mean, the, the birds, like, they have the year-round interest, and many of them have the thorns. So he's like, well, then people won't pull the branches when they're low, right, until you can get them up above a certain level and the trees are still growing. It was kind of a funny thing, but uh, they also have the thornless Crataegus Hawthorns. And I'm going to jump right in because even knows anytime I can talk about Laval Hawthorn, which I know West Philly has on 38th Street and thornless, shiny, glossy leaves, incredible fruit set. Eva has coached me on how to propagate the seeds, fingers crossed, because amazingly complex for the propagation. I bet. It's so funny because he, he said to me, I, I got these hawthorn and he's telling me about these trees and he said, they're just so amazing. You know, when somebody gets excited about a tree in a neighborhood, you know, you better pay attention. When Hal says something, he went back and got some of the fruit that fell and, and was able to attempt to propagate it. And hopefully everything will work out fine. Lots of YouTube videos and everything like that. Well, you know, some of the other ones that the Amelanchiers are lovely. They do really well. We put together an Arbor Day planting when I first started at Pico. We used one of the landscaping companies. They delivered multi-stem. Never thought to like, you know, a little specific that you need single stem for a street tree. In the landscape, multi-stem's lovely. In the 80s, when I was involved with the street trees in our community, and I knew Julianne and Mindy, they had an event up in Reading with Panelec up there. And they had this trial field with all these short trees. And they said, we want you to see all these trees that are ideal for under power lines. And if you start thinking about back then and what we see now on the streets, they were talking about Colverteria, Hawthorne, some of the crab apples that hold their crab apples over the winter, the shorter statured maples and so on. So that we actually can walk this whole place with the power lines overhead and the trees underneath. And this was their testing ground. And I thought that was really brilliant because it wasn't long after that, that a lot of the nurseries started growing these things so we could actually order them. And it changed the industry totally by attending that event. And of course, nursery people were there too. So that's how a lot of the smaller trees got into the, but even they talked about the red bud. Nobody put a street tree of redbud on before, but now they can grow under power lines. And you were talking about here. Nobody ever saw an here in the city. They didn't even know what an here was. Not only does it have great fruit to eat, but it is a lower stature. So it's important that utility companies do the kind of work and research that they do because everyone benefits from it in the end, right? Mm-hmm kind of work that you're doing is really important. Just for clarification, when we talk about underwire trees, Amanda, what are we talking about in terms of that height dimension? So we kind of use 25 feet at maturity. It's kind of the, you know, obviously there's going to be some that may go a little higher, but that's kind of the, the ballpark that we're looking at. So, you know, paper bark maple, we've had some of those planted in, in the neighborhood. Those are kind of cool because the peeling bark, they don't get super big. It takes them a long time to grow. They're very slow growing. They also, another type of the trifoliate maple, the small trifoliate maples are the ones that are really good for underpower lines. 
You don't see those too frequently, though. Yeah, Maki, I know it's one of your favorites, right, Al? A little mushroom or whatever. <laughs> uh, love, hate, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, our podcast comes out of southeastern Pennsylvania, the Delaware Valley, Philadelphia, old industrial city. Neighbors and citizens are lucky if they get a three-by-four pit. I worked on a small pruning workshop yesterday with Mindy, and from a practicality standpoint, just meeting some of the neighbors over near the zoo and the trees on this narrow little street, lower maintenance when you have that smaller tree, right? You'll never have to hire a tree company to come in and, and prune your uh, 45 foot London plane. Fingers crossed that it's also gonna present less issues with a surface root system that's gonna heave the sidewalk or find that soil vent pipe or interrupt other utilities. Much of the, of the tree tender's work is in those low-income neighborhoods. You don't need that extra expense of having the sidewalk contractor coming in and addressing lifting sidewalk that becomes a tripping hazard. So there's a functionality piece with small trees. And oh, by the way, they still provide the shade. They still give food to wildlife, cooling, water capture, all those good things, you're still going to get it with a 30-foot redbud or um, amelanchia or hawthorn. Yeah. So I think, you know, we also want to promote large trees, obviously, for their benefits, but planted in the right place. So part of our Treeline USA certification that we've acquired in the last couple of years, which is really a great program, um, it's really about accountability and following best management practices for a utility. And it's sponsored by the Arbor Day Foundation and the Association of National State Foresters, or the National Association of State Foresters. And so they have to sign off on it, but there's five pretty rigorous requirements that utilities have to fulfill in order to be certified and to really show customers and the community and business community at large what the utility is doing to help protect and preserve the forest. So one of them is quality tree care. So you have to have standards, follow ANSI pruning guidelines. You have to have annual worker training to keep your tree workers actually up to speed and with the latest practices, the pruning, correct pruning. Alex Shigo, you know, they review that with their tree workers every year, making sure that everyone that comes on board is learning that, the proper way to do that. Ed Gilman's another one that we love the webinars, you know, learning about the proper pruning. We talked about energy saving and large trees providing shade. So one of the five requirements is actually have an energy conservation tree-based program. And so in partnership with the Arbor Day Foundation, they have a program called Energy Saving Trees, where a customer goes online, they go into the iTree app, and they find their property, their house, and it tells them where to plant the tree to provide the most energy-saving benefits. And it, it stays away from wires. It's going to show where you're going to be able to block wind and sun in order to reduce your energy costs. So we've been doing that program even longer, I think eight years, and we provide our customers with trees. This is another part of our tree planting strategy. 
And that's every year at Arbor Day, we give away these trees in conjunction with the local communities in each county. So that's another one of the five requirements. One is also to participate in an Arbor Day celebration, which is what we do when we provide these trees. And then the big one is that you have to commit a certain dollar figure based on your number of customers towards tree planting and tree education in your community. So that's where we partnered with the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society and the Tree Tenders Program to help support their tree plantings. So not only are we there as volunteers, we are also helping fund the trees themselves as well as the Tree Tenders Education Program across our territory. So it's a beautiful fit because our service territory is, when you look at the Tree Tenders map, very similar. So like if someone wants to get involved, they can plug in right there. And what's also great about it is our social media and their social media cross-promoting, we're reaching more and more people. So, you know, these tree tender classes are growing and growing. The more people that we can get to learn and care about trees and how to maintain them, the better. And when they understand that the right tree, right place is so critical, and that's going to help the utility company, right? That to me is like a win, win, win. So we continue to work with communities on this, promoting it, getting the trees out there. I'm very excited about this. Let me circle back. I didn't hear it clearly. Treeline USA, who is your specific target audience? Yeah, it's really the utilities themselves. It's an accountability certification, best management practices. And we can say, as Pico and as our parent company, Exelon, we are hitting all these requirements you know, to show that we're doing as a utility what we can to protect and preserve the urban forest, the canopy, and knowing that we still have to maintain the lines, we're also doing this. Understood. So how is that being received in your industry at large? In other words, you're getting some pretty good feedback, receptivity, you know, upstate New York or throughout the Midwest. You know who these companies are. Con Edison is the only one I know. How are they receiving it? Our sister utilities under Exelon participate. That's ComEd in Chicago, Delmarva, Atlantic State Electric, BGE, Pepco, and Pico. You know, so we all maybe go about it slightly differently. I really think our model is fantastic. <laughs> Partnering up with this great organization from a grassroots approach, bottom up, and then also, you know, the more that we can support them. If you're working in the tree industry to also be working towards planting trees, we have to cut trees. I think it's important to also plant trees. So, and that's a company position as well. How do your subcontractors fit into this? The companies that are out there pruning and stuff, can they ever be handed some of the tree planting responsibilities? They can. I mean, we definitely have contractors that do that. Other utilities may do a little more hands-off approach and have trees planted for them. I think getting kids and families and communities out there actually planting the trees is really more of a long game approach because it takes so many years for a tree to grow to mature to start giving back those ecosystem benefits. It's not just a plug it in the ground and leave. There's a lot that goes into it. So the education is so critical. That maintenance is so critical. Doing that with your community is so critical. 
I was, I was going to ask, do the utilities have a list of organizations that actually do tree planting so that they could actually partner up with them? I can see how beneficial this is because you're not reinventing the wheel, number one. Number two, you're conserving resources monetarily, conserving human resources as well, because you have the volunteers already there, but you also have volunteers for your own organizations or companies. And so is there a list that you can go to that has all these greening groups on it so that you can benefit from that? I don't know if there is, but I know that our, our sister utility, Pepco, works with Casey Trees, another big tree planting organization in D.C. area. ComEd works with Morton Arboretum. You have to kind of go with who's embedded, who's your local partner, right? So I think it's more of kind of a local approach, but covering a large territory. So how do you partner up with someone that can help provide both education and trees and the planting? I think that's really the key that we have a great model here. And I, and I think that there might be other utilities that might not have a, an organization like that in their community. Um, I'm thinking that maybe Arboreta as like such as Art Morton Arboretum, but other Arboreta in other states, if they were to partner locally, that would really help them if they aren't already doing it. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, good practice already in place that folks can tap into and learn from. Am I right, Amanda? Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Pico Exelon have a role in uh, supporting treatments for emerald ash borer? Uh, I think there may have been, before my time at PICO, there may have been an attempt at that that didn't go too far. We Actually, some of my colleagues are looking into tree growth regulators right now. And the emerald ash borer, we don't specifically treat trees for emerald ash borer, but we let folks know about it. So to answer your question about emerald ash borer, we have a real challenge with with Enwood Ashbor right now. Yeah. Um, it came in our northern area, Bucks County first, and is moving its way down southern. You can see the map of Pennsylvania how, when it was first detected and how it's going. And, you know, these trees are just falling apart. They're just crumbling. So it's really challenging for our tree workers as well because they can't climb them. So mm-hmm. if a, a bucket can't get up to the tree to take it down if, you know, as it's disinter- disintegrating and might hit our, our lines they're not safe to climb. So that cha- that adds another level of complexity and challenge. The emerald ash borer is, a, is really devastating. It's been very, very difficult. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, I'm thinking of southeastern Pennsylvania, almost midsummer, it almost feels like we live in a jungle. You know, it's hot, it's humid, there's lots of rainfall, and trees are just exploding with with growth and you know the weather related events of the past uh, half dozen summers the extremes are always there you know it's like you could put your money uh do some sports online betting about how many catastrophic weather events we're going to have in 2022 you know will it be one will it be three will it be seven but man um i'm thinking about the summer of 2021 and Poor Ben Salem, uh, Pennsylvania, getting hit a couple times. Uh, and, uh, of course, Hatboro, the suburb of Hatboro, where the t- uh, tornado landed down. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's stressful for the, uh, a huge company like Pico that has to keep the lights on for its clients. 
Yes, those tornadoes that came through, I, I heard Jason Lubar talk about those and, you know, the, the impact to the trees, you know, these storms and the tree, you know, st tree impacts from these storms are really, really challenging. Some of the new storms we haven't seen in this part of the country, really, before. But that area, Upper Dublin, kind of where the tornadoes came through, we are working with the communities there to do some large tree plantings as well to continue to support them restoring the loss of their canopy. Yeah, Pico Exelon gets a shout out at this end, to, you know, the, to hear their role because, you know, let's face it, energy in the news is often, you know, fossil fuels and everything's got to go away and we got to start over with new technologies. But to hear about the tree planting, and, and you just mentioned that Fort Washington community and circling back to tree tenders quickly, how they were like boots on the ground, you know, the Morris Arboretum, boots on the ground, tree tenders, boots on the ground. They already did a planting last fall. And uh, the other aspect of it that I love that Jason Lubar from the Morris Arboretum talked about when we had him on is it's horrible to lose these trees, right? But he said at the same time, neighbors are walk down their driveway, they're seeing homes that they've never seen before because the trees are gone and they're meeting their neighbors for the first time, so. I have to say that um, last Saturday I was teaching a, a pruning class in Ambler and who was there, but all the communities that you're talking about and the ones mm, that wow. had gotten hit by the tornado. And they said, yes, we're here because we want to learn how to prune because we're putting in more trees this spring because of the tornado. And it was really delightful and pleasant to hear and to see how they were interacting. The different community leaders were interacting with one another, volunteers that come. And so this is the one of the pruning clubs that's coming out of tree tenders so that they can help their neighbors learn how to prune. So it's it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I the printing clubs is one of the most fun things, you know. Um, and, you know, how impactful can that be for a young tree? You know, some structural pruning done early, clearing it away from, you know, hitting people's head. And, you know, that really makes a, a big impact on that tree's the rest of its life. So, yeah, absolutely. And these were in the, these were in a park. So uh, the first thing that uh, with, you know, asking them, what, what do you think needs to be done on this tree? We don't want to get poked in the eye. The branches are so low. When you walk on the sidewalk, you can get smacked in the face with the limb. So that's the first thing that we did. We limbed up uh, quite a number of trees. So that, you know, it's good for them to notice what needs to be done. Right, right. Yeah. You know, you think about the future and how you're going to get more trees in. I love the focus of your your podcast and efforts, you know, you think about everyone will still want energy. You know, the more we can electrify, the better. I know Exelon and Pico, we have a goal to try to be 50% reduce uh, carbon emissions of, for the fleet by 2030, which is a pretty significant goal, um, moving to a lot more EVs. All these things add up. I think, you know, as you were talking about some of the neighborhoods with the heat island effect and, you know, lack of any canopy, you know, the more that we can continue to, yeah, you know, but, but planting the right tree, right? So, you know, you still, like you were saying, how you still get a lot of benefit from trees, the larger ones, obviously more, but if the location isn't appropriate, you know, you still, I think it's still really valid to, to, put in some of these 
more appropriate size for narrow streets or overhead wires. Yeah, yeah. What I like about what you're doing is that you are not a typical company. You are a community company and you represent community because not only are you keeping the lights on, but you're interacting with the community all the time, whether it's for the flower show, Pico's there, whether it's for tree tenders, Pico's there. You know, I've seen Pico at so many different local community events that it makes me happy to see an organization that's constantly interacting with their neighbors and their clients. Well, I love that. And uh, I, I agree. And, you know, just one other thing with the, the partnership with the tree tenders, we actually have a module in the training guideline that's PICO based right tree, right place and explains all about the wires. So, you know, those training materials that they've developed over time is really great. They're, they're just very, very helpful, I think, for folks. And I do know that other cities that have made connection with the tree tenders program are also seeing how important the interaction is with other organizations too. So that if, for example, tree tenders is in every city, for example, any utility that's there could utilize that and benefit from that and have the packet so that you don't have to keep reinventing. When you update it, everybody gets updated. When there's an issue, everybody knows about it and it can take, you know, take care of it and nobody else will have the problem. And that's what's really good about having a large connection like that we have here in southeastern Pennsylvania. Kudos to your company. Amanda, I know you're an avid bicyclist. First of all, tell me about your life with the Bicycle Coalition and your life as a West Philadelphia cyclists, and were you able to come up with any ideas about tying urban cycling to trees? <laughs> oh, how you're great. Um, so <laughs> I will say, I still remember that tree ride that we took many, many moons ago and yeah. uh, rode past the huge bur oak up in Fairmount Park. Some of those other like stately, just amazing trees. That was the first time I remember seeing a uh, tree, the cork tree pointed out that was oh, yeah. really memorable. I still look at that one. So that was super fun. I think, uh, you know, honestly, I had been doing volunteer tree planting for so many years, probably 20, you know, I was out there many, many weekends, loved it. But when I came to Pico 10 years ago, I actually took a break for about a year from volunteering and, and just, you know, just kind of reset. And I realized I was like, oh my gosh, I really need to like get back into some, some volunteer thing and uh, uh, was recruited for the Bicycle Coalition board. And I've, I've been on that board. I actually, um, you know, Pico actually, I won one of the volunteer awards uh, because of right. that we've done all the hours. But um, I just want to say that organization is so fantastic because again, they're advocacy-based, really community members, that, that make it go, but they're really advocating for safe, safe, safer streets, not just for cyclists, but for all, all road users. Um, so I'm very, very, very um, proud of the work that they're doing, very supportive. They really focus on safety too, which is one of the key tenants for PICO. I mean, safety is like critical in, in all ways. So the fact that they're really thinking about how to make cyclists safer um, is, a, is a great connection. So, yes, I haven't been out there too much this winter with the cold, but I can't wait to get back out 
um, our office is going to be reopening and we'll be, I'll be looking forward to being able to commute back on my bike. Commute to work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think you had uh, mentioned maybe, uh, you know, down in the Navy yard or something like, I, oh, I yeah. would love, I think it would be so fun. I think there would be interest to tie together, you know, go and look at some cool trees and do it by bike. So I'm in how yeah. you want to want to work on this. All right. Maybe, maybe we're, we're going to rebirth it. Here's your opportunity to hitch the wagon to the bike and deliver <laughs> trees. Yeah. <laughs> I could see it now, or little seedlings, you know, the kid on his bike and he's got the little wagon or a girl and a basket in the front and handing out little tree seedlings. Oh. It's a beautiful image. It really is. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. We got to figure some out. <laughs> but, it, you know, seriously, seeing trees on your bike is a beautiful thing, especially if you're on a dedicated bike path. I agree. Uh, I'm pretty close to Martin Luther King Drive. It's often close to automobiles, and you develop a really nice relationship. You know, like, oh, here's the last elm tree up near the Roosevelt Boulevard Bridge, and here's a collection of red maples. Look at how well they're doing. And it's, it's, it's great. You, you, you can never, or we should never, be rubbernecking and looking at trees when we're driving. Well, Hal, I, I love the idea though, um, you know, and you're right, when you when you cycle, you see things in a, at a different pace. And, um, you know, I often, when I'm on long rides, you know, I wait to find that tree that I can pull over under and, you know, take a break yes. in the shade, right? So. And lean your bike against the trunk. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which brings us to our big question that we always ask our listeners. I'm sure you already know it's coming. What is your favorite tree or group of trees that you love? Well, since I already got to mention the hawthorn, I was going to do that as like appropriate underwire. But, you know, obviously the big, the big trees are always the ones that kind of like take your breath away. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this because there's so many. I know everyone says that. So many favorites. I think... Probably my most awe-inspired moment was when I was out at the Redwood Forest in California mm. and Muir Woods and, you know, Armstrong. I just, I still to this day, like, just takes my breath away. But here on the East Coast, there is a beautiful stand of Metasequoia glyptosabroides at Morris Arboretum. Yeah. And uh, the Dawn Redwood. We actually tried to plant one in our local park here in West Philly Clark Park. And um, unfortunately, it got a little vandalized. So I, I haven't given up all. Mm -hmm. But I just thought to have like a stand of them down a hill like Morris Arboretum does with, you know, they just look like pencils from a distance, you know, when they're they don't have the green on them, too. And just beautiful. I know they take a long time. But anyway, I, I know they're not here on the East Coast, but I, I have to say that's probably, you know, to this day, still my most. Uh, oh, that's fine. You could, it doesn't make a difference where it is. You could have told us a palm tree. Yeah, yeah. As long as you love it. So, yeah. And I hope, you know, uh, it's so devastating, the fires that have been happening. It's just, you read about, you know, the impact to those redwoods. It just, oh, it's just heart-wrenching. Heartbreaking. To think that, you know, these trees have been around longer since. And, and here, you know, so anyway. Yeah. Here we are. 
Well, the, the, we're fortunate that we can grow metasequoia glyptostavoides here. And you're right, I, have, I can't tell you how many photos I have of the ones in Morris Arboretum. <laughs> and I use them for my classes. It, it is an amazing tree. They are. Yeah. 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 They're amazing. And, you know, there's a arbor psychology towards, I think from doing the podcast now, Eva, I think we're coming up on two years, right? Going to be two years in, in August. Yeah. So if I'm grumpy, mildly depressed, and someone says white oak or Metasequoia glyptostraboides. I feel a little pulse of happy hormone kick in. And then you visualize the Morris Arboretum's Redwood collection and, and you think, oh yeah, incredible size. They seem to be resilient in heavy weather. You know, it, it's, uh, it's fantastic. It's an antidepressant. Thank you. Glad I could help. <laughs> Well, it was really delightful to have you on our, our podcast today. And yeah, Amanda, thank you so much. Success in your work. And may everyone out there who's listening that, you know, trees are important and we need to keep moving forward and keep planting. That's the long and short of it. Yep. Yep. That's it. Connect the dots and figure out more ways that we can do it. It was a delight. Thank you both so much. You're welcome. Thank you. See you on the bike path. All right, Hal. See you there. The Planet Trillion Trees podcast is edited by Andromedan Recordings in Hollywood, California. Oh. Uh-huh.